wonderful Savior. He always has exactly what we need. Exactly what we need. Thank God for that. Brother Smar, good to see you, brother. Appreciate you bringing your family. Your uh, oldest son here. I assume he's your oldest son. Next to oldest one. What's your name again? Joshua. Joshua. So we hadn't met before today, but as soon as you walked in the back door, I knew he was yours. <laughs> and uh, I said, that's a smart if I ever saw one. And uh, we went back. We were <clears throat> having lunch, and uh, he walked past, and I said, Mr. Smar. And he turned around. I said, see, I knew it. I knew he was one. So... Good to see you, brother. Appreciate you and your family. Appreciate your faithfulness and uh, and your friendship. And uh, it's listen, God's family is the best family there is, right. best one there is. You say, well, I had trouble with this one or that one, and well, we all families have have trouble. Amen. And uh, you work through it because you're a family. Amen. And uh, God's family ought to be the same. Amen. Now, I'm not saying the smarts are trouble. Now, I'm not saying that. I got saying, I got talking. I thought, man, people are going to think I think the smarts are trouble. I'm sure they have troubles, just like all the rest of us. But uh, I do appreciate them. Appreciate each one being here. All right, we're going to stand up and uh, look at John chapter one again, and uh, we're going to move quickly. I have about <clears throat> this this series, and it is a series that I started this morning. It's about six sermons. I'm not going to preach them all, amen, uh, but I want to give you something God's put on my heart to try to be a help and a blessing to us from the Word of God. And John chapter 1, we looked at this morning John's uh, conception and his calling, and uh, we saw that uh, according to verse number 6, the Bible says there was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. And we saw how, how John came for one purpose, and that was to bear wit witness to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world. And just as John came to prepare a people for Christ's first coming, so we are here to prepare people for Christ's second coming. Right. And so I want to continue that, but this afternoon I want us to look at the challenges that John faced, a few of the challenges he faced. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the day you've given us. Thank you, God, for all that we've experienced already today, the good fellowship, the good food, and the good time around your word, and uh, the praise, Lord, that we've offered to you, the thanksgiving for all that you've done for us. God, you've been so good to us, much better than what we've deserved. And, Lord, we give you the praise and glory for all of it. Now, Father, we come to you once again. We are thankful for what we've experienced already. But, Lord, our hearts are hungry for more, as the song we just heard says, Lord, our, our hearts are hungering for you. And Lord, you promised that if we had hunger and thirst after righteousness, that you would fill us. And so, God, we come again to your table. Would you feed us again from the Holy Scriptures? We pray the Holy Spirit of God would have complete liberty in this place and in our hearts. Guide us into the truth and help us as we look at John and some of the challenges he faced. Lord, we know we're going to face some of the same challenges. And God, the way that you helped John through them, 
Lord, that help is also available to us. You are no respecter of persons. We're thankful for that, dear God. Lord, help us, and now we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. You know, being a man sent from God meant that uh, you were going to be a man who is opposed by the devil. Everything that God stands for, the devil stands against. And, uh, and listen, as we serve God and we try to fulfill the calling of our lives uh, that God has granted us and given us, we can be sure that we will face opposition. We'll face opposition from below, from the devil. We'll face opposition from around us, uh, from the world. We'll face opposition from within, from the flesh. And yet greater is he that's within us than he that's within the world. Because not only is the flesh in, in there, but the Spirit of God is in there as well. And, uh, and we thank God for his, his help and his strength. And just as he helped John through some of his challenges, he'll be here to help us. Amen? Now, there's a few challenges I, I want us to look at. And we're going to skim over a few very briefly and then get to the heart of the message. But the first thing I think of and when I think of John's challenges is what I'm calling the challenge of decreasing the challenge of decreasing. In the early part of John's ministry, we read in, in, in Matthew chapter 3 that great multitudes would come out to hear him preach. And uh, as he preached, uh, the Bible says that people went to hear him and to be baptized of him. And there was a great following that, uh, that John gathered to himself just because he was doing the will of God. But you know, part of God's will included in the life of John uh, not just an increase at the beginning, but a decrease at the end. As he continued to follow the Lord, instead of the numbers getting larger, they got smaller. You know, I think that's something that we have to understand, that there are going to be seasons in any life, in any family, in any ministry. There'll be seasons of fruitfulness. Then there'll be times where we think we have more leaving than we have coming. And you know, the thing that we need to remember is that we are doing the calling of God and we need to be faithful. Just be faithful in good times and bad because God is working through all of them. The challenge of decreasing is to remain faithful in the face of it. And John did so because John understood that it was part of God's will. Look in John chapter 3. As we think about this, we're moving quickly, but I want us to see this. Look at John chapter 3. And uh, verse number 25, John 3, verse 25, it says, Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, that's Jesus, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. You know what they're saying? John all the people that used to follow you are now following someone else. And they thought that that would, that that would uh, be a problem to John. Look what John says in verse 27. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. You know what he's saying? This is God's will. Verse 28. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom which standeth and heareth him 
rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. And then he makes a statement that is very powerful. He says, he must increase, but I must decrease. What a wonderful perspective that John has upon uh, his life and upon his calling. You know, John could have tried to revel in the popularity that he experienced. He could have tried to hoard those people to himself. But John understood that the, the whole reason why he was there was to prepare people for Jesus. And if people stopped following John but started following Jesus, well, that's what it was all about anyways. There was a challenge of decreasing, but, but John saw the will of God in this, and he stayed faithful. And then from Matthew 11, and we won't turn there and read too deeply, but we see the challenge of doubt. By this time in Matthew 11, John was in a dark place. He was in prison. Most likely it was a place that he did not expect to be in. And Oftentimes, in those times, we tend to doubt. What is God doing and what is, what is his will? Why is he allowing this? And John said this in Matthew 11. He, he sent messengers to Jesus and he asked this question, Art thou he that should come or look we for another? I want you to think about that. It's Jesus that John is talking about. And it's John that's doing the talking. Why is that so amazing? Well, because of two things. Number one, if anybody would have known about Jesus, it would be John. Not only was he the, the selected forerunner for Christ, but he was Jesus' cousin. He knew Jesus all his life. He saw Jesus from a boy be different than any other child in the neighborhood. Amen? Amen. We talked a little bit this morning about how you don't have to teach your children to do wrong because it's in their nature to do wrong. But it wasn't the, the, the case in Jesus' life. The Bible says he did no sin. Neither was guile found in his mouth. The Bible describes him as holy and harmless and separate from sinners. That is, there's a whole group over here, which is everybody that's ever been born in sin, except for one. There's, there's this other division, and in this division there's only one person, and that's Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who never sinned. John saw this. John, saw, John was also the one that, that the Lord gave the job to declare Jesus to the nation. He's the one who stood there and said, when Jesus was walking up to the river, he pointed with his hand and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. If anybody should have known uh, about Jesus, it should have been John. And yet, because he was in a dark place, he had some doubts. But I love how Jesus deals with John. He does not condemn him. He does not even reprove him. He assures him. Aren't you glad when you have doubts, the Lord can come by and assure your heart before him? And this is how he did it. He said, listen, you go tell John that the, the lame are walking, the blind are seeing, the poor have the gospel preached to them, 
He said, everything that you've been looking for, I am. I fulfill. And then he says, after he explains who he is to John, then he says this. That's when he makes that statement in Matthew 11, verse 11. You know, of those born of women, there's none greater than John the Baptist. That's the context that he tells people, this is the best we have. I like that. That's an encouragement. Be those challenges, there's going to be times of doubt. But I want to focus in on this with the time that we have remaining, the challenge of deficiencies. Now, I want you to look at Matthew chapter 3, and we'll spend a few minutes here before we're done today. Matthew chapter 3. This is at the very beginning of John's ministry. In Matthew chapter 3, what happened to that bottle of water? But it disappeared. It says in verse number 1, In those days, thank you, came came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's preaching. He's preaching a message of repentance, which is one you don't hear much anymore, but it's still in the Bible. So it was good enough for for John to preach, good enough for Jesus to preach, good enough for me to preach, amen? And he goes down through, and and, and for sake of time, I'm not going to read this whole passage, but he's baptizing. He's preaching, and he's telling folks, listen, uh, they come to him to be baptized, and he says, you bring forth fruit, meat for repentance. You know what he's saying? Yeah, you say you want to be baptized, you say you want to follow the Lord, prove it. That's pretty good, isn't it? Live like you say that you want to live. And so he's preaching, and and the Lord is blessing. And then look at verse number 13. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? Notice this. Put yourself in John's position here. God's blessing the ministry. You're baptizing people, and, 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 and people are making commitment to the Lord. They're, they're, they're preparing themselves for the Lord to come. And then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. And he walks up to you, and he says, I need you to baptize me. Is there any other response than what John gives? You know what he said? Look at it again. This is what he says. I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? You know what John says? You should be the one baptizing me, because you're the greater and I'm the lesser. Can you, can you understand what John's saying here? Can you get a feel for what he's saying, what he's feeling? What he's saying is, listen, Jesus, I know that I'm hearing what you're saying, but I'm I'm not feeling what you're saying. I know what God is is telling me to do, but I don't feel adequate. You ever been there? I feel deficient. I don't meet the bar. I don't meet the standard. John felt unworthy and inadequate to baptize Jesus, and as a result of that, he questioned his plan, didn't he? 
said, Comest thou to me? Look what Jesus says. Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. The word suffer in this, in this uh, context means to allow. It means to permit. Not to hinder. And so Jesus is telling John, you need to allow this to take place. You need to suffer it to be so. Why? Because in doing so, it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Now that's very interesting to me what Jesus says there. The word fulfill is a very important word, especially in the Gospels. And in particular, in the book of Matthew. It's found about 40 times in the Gospels in all of its forms, and 18 of those times in the book of Matthew. Why is that? Because Matthew is a transition from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Now, I know when, when you get your Bible, and, and just a few pages back, you'll come to the, uh, Matthew's Gospel, the first page, and this is what I have in my Bible. I have right here the New Testament, right after Malachi. Okay, so you got the Malachi, Malachi three ends with verse or four ends with verse number six, and that's the end of the Old Testament. And we say, okay, now we're starting the New Testament. But you know, biblically speaking, the New Testament was not put into effect until Christ died, because His blood was the blood of the New Testament. And so this, the, all, the first part of the book of Matthew, you're transitioning from the Old Testament to the New Testament, the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. And so why is that important? Uh, well, that's where this word fulfill becomes so important. Because all of the things that were written in the Old Testament were all written to point us to Christ. There were signs given. There were, there were prophecies given. There are types that are given in the Old Testament, shadows that, are, that, that foretell of Christ's coming. All of those things, and really, you say, when, when does Jesus start in the Bible? When do you start reading about Jesus? In the beginning, the whole book is about Jesus. And, and all of the, the, the Old Testament prophecies, they're pointing us to Christ. But listen, as wonderful and as beautiful and as powerful as those Old Testament prophecies were and are, they would have been meaningless and pointless if Christ hadn't come. You say, how important it was that this word fulfill? It is of utmost importance. If Christ had not fulfilled these prophecies, and here he says, to fulfill all righteousness, we'd still be lost. Christ had to come according to the prophecies. He had to fulfill those things. And, and, and Jesus is telling John, this is a part of fulfilling those prophecies. It's a part of fulfilling the calling that God has given me. What's so interesting to me is that Jesus tells John, he doesn't say, suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh me to fulfill all righteousness. He doesn't say that. He says, it becometh us, us, to fulfill 
all righteousness. You know what Jesus is telling John? You have to work with me in order for this to work. Now, brother, that blows me away. I can't imagine God needing someone else to fulfill something. Are you as shocked as I am? We think of God as he stands alone. He needs no one. He is all-sufficient. But we must also understand that God is a man of his word, or a God of his word. And what he sets out in his word as being necessary, he sticks with. He tells John right here that, listen, John, by you working with me, we will fulfill all righteousness. We will accomplish, we will perform, we will uh, complete. That's what that word fulfill means, all righteousness. Now you've got Jesus who is divine, is that right? And you've got John who's a very good man, but he's just a man. And Jesus says, we've got to work together in order to fulfill this. Now, here's, here's what I know to be true. If John hadn't worked with Jesus on this, he'd have found someone else. Can I say it this way? We say God doesn't need any of us. And, and he, doesn't, he doesn't need me, but he needs someone. Does that make sense? He doesn't mean, need me, but he needs someone. You know what John had to come to the realization of? It's not about me. It's not that God needs me in particular, but he needs someone, and I'll be the one. You know what John had to do? He had to get past this challenge of feeling deficient or feeling insufficient and looking at his own failures and his own shortcomings and instead focusing on the one who could, with him, fulfill the calling of God. Amen. You, know what, you know what God's people need to get a hold of? With God, all things are possible. All things are possible with God. That means he can take you to do an eternal work that you can help fulfill the word of God. Amen. Now, look, look at this with me. 1 Timothy chapter 3. I'm trying to hit the high points here because that Mexican food is pulling on your eyelids. Should have added some more hot sauce, amen? 1 Timothy chapter 3. This is a very important verse in your King James Bible. Now, I, I, I mentioned it this morning. I'll mention it again. I'm a King James Bible believer. Amen. I believe that this book that we call the King James Bible is the perfectly preserved word of God in the English language. I believe that. If I didn't believe that, I wouldn't stand up here and preach it. Well, okay. All right. <clears throat> now, in our Bible, it's very important that we see this. In the King James Bible, the, this is the only, the only version, if you want to call it that way, that gets this right, this verse. 1 Timothy 3.16, look at it. And without controversy, 
great is the mystery of godliness. And then you see that little dot, dot after the godliness? It's going to explain what the mystery of godliness is. What's the next word in your Bible? God. That's good. That means you've got a good Bible. God was manifest in the flesh. Now, your, your ESV and your, and, and, and your NIV and, and all the other ones, they're going to put something like he was manifest in the flesh or who was manifest in the flesh, which kind of sounds like a question. But the word of God says God was manifest in the flesh. Now, I'm not really teaching. I'm just kind of laying some foundation here. I'm trying to preach, but we have to get a little teach in order to preach. It's no mystery if he is manifest in the flesh. You understand that? It's not a mystery that you are manifest in the flesh. We're all manifest in the flesh. That's how we know we're here. Right? So to call this a mystery of godliness, he was manifest in the flesh, doesn't even make sense. God was manifest in the flesh. Now that is a mystery. This is what he says. He's manifest in the flesh. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. He begins to identify and to explain the ministry that Christ had in the flesh. He's, uh, he's, he's explaining the ministry of Jesus while he was on this earth. God in the flesh. In our, in our original text, a chapter, John chapter 1, it talks about the in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then verse 14 says, and the Word uh, dwelt among us, was made manifest, was made flesh, and dwelt among us. That's Jesus. He's the Word. He's God in the flesh. That's a mystery, how that God could take up human flesh, but he did. But notice that he describes God in the flesh with one word. What is that word that he describes as God in the flesh? It's in our our verse in 1 Timothy 3.16. It's the mystery of what? Godliness. Now that's interesting to me. Because all through the scripture, we're told... To live godly. Is that right? We're told in, in, in one of the epistles of Peter that we, are, we have been given all things that pertain unto life and godliness. That means God has furnished us with everything we need to live a godly life. And what is godliness? It's God manifest in the flesh. That's what it is. You know, that tells me, that tells me that even though I'm in the flesh, God can so fill me to use me to do an eternal work. So I can live a life that's godly. 
I see that in our, in our text with John, who is flesh, and Jesus, who is divine, and God working through them together to fulfill all righteousness. Now we're almost to the we're almost to the message, okay? Long introduction, very short message. God planned it for us to work with Christ to accomplish that which is right. When he says fulfill all righteousness, he means complete all righteousness. Were the Old Testament prophets uh, prophecies were they righteous? Absolutely. But until they were fulfilled, they weren't complete. Until Jesus came and lived them out. You know what Jesus did? He embodied the prophecies. All the words that God spoke concerning the Messiah, Jesus put them to use. He, he embodied those words and he lived those words. And in so doing, he fulfilled those words. That is what God calls us to do. And maybe we're looking at, we're thinking, boy, look at all those commandments. I can't do all those commandments. Have you ever felt that way? Now, maybe you don't care. Now, that'd be pretty bad, wouldn't it? But I'm afraid that many who claim the name of Christ, they don't care whether they fulfill the commandments or not. That's a shame. But maybe you do care and you say, man, I'd like to keep these commandments in the sense not to be saved, but because I am saved. I'd like to live in a way that pleases God. I'd like to possess my vessel in sanctification and honor. I don't want to get caught up with this world and live the way the world lives, live the way that the people who don't know God live. I want to live differently. I want my life to shine for God. But all these commandments, how do I keep all these commandments? I can't even remember them all. How do you do it? It's called godliness. You got the spirit of God within you. And he is the one who fulfills the law. All you are is the vessel. You know what, John? Listen, go back to, to Matthew chapter 3 and look at this. this is, it's beautiful how the Lord lays this out for us. When Jesus first shows up and talks to John about being baptized, this is what John says, I the focus of John is on John. I, I can't do this. I'm not worthy to do this. I'm not adequate. I'm not sufficient. I'm, I, I can't do this. And it's all, John is focused on John. But when Jesus shifts the focus and, and gives him the word of God, before long you don't see John at all. Look what happens. Let's, let's read the rest of the... We stop with verse 15. Look at verse 16. And Jesus 
when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. All of a sudden, John fades in the background. You say, what did John do? John just yielded himself to the will of God. He just said, Lord, I don't understand it. And I'll be honest with you, I still don't understand everything about the baptism of Christ. You come up and say, why why did Jesus need to be baptized? I can't tell you 100% why. I just know he said he needed to be. That's enough. John probably didn't have all the answers, but he did know what Jesus told him to do. And he submitted himself to the will of God. He yielded his members as instruments of righteousness, and God did the rest. Look what happens. When he yields to the Lord, he yields his flesh to God. The heavens are opened. The Spirit of God comes and descends upon Christ. The voice from heaven calls out, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. John was a part of all that. Because when, we, when he yielded himself and he submitted himself to God, the focus all became about Jesus. It was all about Jesus. God glorified his son, and he said, I'm pleased with him. And John helped fulfill that. Remember what Jesus told John, it becometh us to fulfill. You want to please God? Yield yourself to the will of God. You want to please God? Just obey God even when you don't feel worthy to? Listen, a lot of of our praise that we swallow, the Bible says praise is the fruit of our lips. Giving thanks to his name. You can't praise God in your heart. I just praise God in my heart. You can't. It's not the fruit of your heart. It's the fruit of your lips. Worship is in the heart. And praise ought to come forth as a result of worship. But a lot of times, listen, a lot of times we don't praise God because we don't feel worthy. Can I let you know something? Praise is not about your worthiness. It's about his worthiness. He deserves to be praised whether you're hitting a lick or not. Amen. Amen. We need to yield our members as instruments of righteousness. The Spirit of God, as we talked about this morning, the Spirit of God can exalt the Son of God in us when we yield ourselves to Him. And that's really what it's all about. It's really what it's all about. You know what the answer for your family is? Jesus. The answer for our country, Jesus. He's the answer to whatever our problem is. And so 
You know what we need to be all about? Jesus. How can Jesus best manifest himself in my life? Yield yourself to him. Even when you don't understand. Even when you might not agree. Let me show you one more thing. We'll be done. I promise. Ish. No. Look, 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 at, look at Luke 23. I'm, this is just, it's burning in my heart. Well, let, no, no, instead, let's go to Matthew 26. Matthew 26. Listen, God gave, God gave John a course to run, according to Acts chapter 13. He gave David a course to run, according to Acts chapter 13. He gave Paul a course to run in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And they fulfilled the will of God by fulfilling their course. They just did what God told them to do. Jesus also had a course to run. Now look in, Je in Matthew 26, look, look what it says in verse 36. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and his two son, uh, the two sons of Zebedee, began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. I want to show you something very important. In this verse, in, in one statement, we are shown that Jesus has a will that is different than God's. Don't, don't lose, your, lose your mind here. Does it not say, does Jesus not say, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Is that what the Bible says? You know what he's saying? I would like for things to go this way. But Lord, I know that you want things to go this way. Is that what the will is? It's what we desire. It's what we want. Is that correct? Jesus did not pray this. He didn't pray, Lord, I'll do your will as soon as your will becomes my will. You notice the difference in that? He's not saying, well, if God would just, I've heard people say well, if God would just change my heart on this matter, then I would obey. You're praying the wrong prayer. You know, John could have said, Lord, if you ask me to do something else, I'll do it. Why don't we do it this way? You baptize me, and then everything will be good. He, he had that idea to begin with, didn't he? I have need to be baptized of you. This is my will. Jesus in the garden said, this cup, uh, it would be my will that this cup pass from me. 
And he didn't say, Lord, I'll do your will if you'll change my will. Because, listen, that's not submission. That's you still getting your way. That's the flesh still having the upper hand. You know what we need to do? We need to, we need to, we need to commit to the will of God whether we want to do it or not. And here's John. God's calling John to baptize Jesus, and John feels inadequate, and he said, I don't think I should do this. But you know what he did? He submitted himself to the will of God. And in that submission, God wrought a miracle. Just as Jesus did. He submitted his will to his Father's will. And aren't you glad he did? If he hadn't, we'd still be lost. I'm saying that if we will yield to the will of God, God can do great and mighty things in our lives. He can fulfill his word in us. Isn't it amazing that we could fulfill scripture So how do I do that? Live according to the commands. Live according to the principles. Impossible to do in your own strength, but possible in his strength. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. God, I pray that you would help us to understand these truths. Lord, though we may feel deficient, And rightfully so, that the calling that you've called us to cannot be fulfilled naturally. It has to be done supernaturally. But you've given us your spirit that can cause us to live, enable us to live a supernatural life. God, help us to submit ourselves to your will, to your power that we might fulfill your word in our lives, that the world around us might know. Just as Christ fulfilled your word and the world saw firsthand that he was who he said he was, Lord, I pray that we would live like children of God, that the world might see the supernatural change that you can make in a life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.